0: The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, high school is a very traumatic time. When we're in high school, we're trying to work out who we are, what's our identity Where are we going? But when I was in high school, my name, my last name is Chan. And I was one of four Chans. And so when the teacher would take the role in high school, this is how he did it. He would just say, Chan, 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 Chan. He wouldn't even mention our first names. We would just mention which Chan we were. I was Chan number four. So I wasn't just one of four Chans. I was the last of the four Chans. It was so degrading. How I longed to be me, my own identity, my own person, living my life my way and not the way other people wanted me to live. Because if I could be me, I could be happy. Today we're finishing our February series on the four keys to happiness. Key number one was success, key number two was freedom. Uh, was, uh, was love, key number three was freedom and today is key number four, how to be true to yourself and what we'll do is we'll look at what the Bible has to say about these keys this will come in the form of a 20 minute talk which I'll give now and afterwards there'll be some time for question and answer and today's key is being true to yourself and we can define being true to yourself as just being who you are don't let anyone else tell you who to be, but be who you want to be and believe. Believe in yourself. And we've just heard a story from the Bible where Jesus himself told a story about people trying to be true to themselves. We hear the story that two men went to the temple to pray. Two men went to get themselves right with God. The first man was a Pharisee, moral, upright, religious, The modern equivalent would be someone who goes to church every Sunday to both the morning and the evening services. A family man who never cheated on his wife. A generous man who gives his money to World Vision and a salvos at the end of every financial year. The other man was a tax collector, a traitor, a creep, a cheat. A modern equivalent would be an online spammer or scammer He's the guy that sends you the emails from the Nigerian prince. He's the guy who crypto-locks your grandmother's computer and then asks for a $1,000 ransom. Well, Jesus says the second man, not the first one, the second man gets right with God. He, using our motif, is the one true to himself. And this is the part of the story I don't get. How is the tax collector the one who gets right with God and not the church-going Bible-believing, family man, Pharisee. But today's talk is on how to be true to yourself. And there'll be three parts to the talk. In the first part, we'll look at, well, what is being true to yourself? The middle part, problems with being true to yourself. And in the final part, what does the Bible say about being true to yourself? How can I be true to myself? So let's come to the first part of the talk. What is being true to yourself? And here I've got two things to say. What is it to be true to yourself? Well, number one, be who you are and don't let others tell you who to be. Now, two years ago, my wife Steph and I and our three boys went to a wedding. And the wedding was in November, where it was 40 degrees Celsius. Now, there's a dress code for weddings. For boys, that means a dress shirt, dress pants, dress shoes, and maybe even a tie. So we dressed up our number one son, Toby. We dressed up our number three son, Jonty, but we could not dress up our middle child, Cooper. He insisted on wearing what he wanted to wear. He went to the wedding in a red sleeveless tank top, denim shorts, and gum boots. Now, Steph and I were horrified, but we could not make him wear what we wanted Cooper insisted on wearing what he wanted. But at the wedding, Cooper got more attention than the bride. See, there's a bride in a white dress. (sighs) Boring. But look at Cooper. Tank top, denim shorts and gumboots. And everyone was saying, good on Cooper for wearing what he wanted to wear. And parents were wishing that they had just let their kids wear what they wanted to wear. And the men were wishing, boy, I wish I'd been able to turn up in a t-shirt and shorts. And that's what it means to be true to yourself. To have the courage to do what you want to do. Be your own version of yourself instead of the version that other people impose upon you. Be true to yourself. It's the movie plot for Billy Elliot. The boy just wants to dance. It's not what his dad wants him to do, but it's what he wants to do. Ben life Beckham. The two girls just want to play football. It's not what their parents want them to do, but it's what they want to do. Whip it. Ellen Page just wants to play roller derby. It's not what her mum wants her to do, but it's what she wants to do. Be true to yourself. When you see your high school careers advisor and you ask her, should I be a doctor, a plumber, or a rock star? What is she going to say? Is she going to say, what do your parents want? No, 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 that's what your Chinese parents are hoping she would say. Now she's going to say, what do you want to do? Go with your heart. Do what you love. Follow your dreams. This is why Steve Jobs is our hero. He didn't do what others told him to do. He dropped out of college and he did what he loved. And look what happened to him. He became the CEO of Apple Apple. He gave us iTunes, iPhone, and the iPad. Bronnie Ware is a nurse in palliative care. Her book is called The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret is this, and I quote, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. What is it to be true to yourself? Number one, to have the courage to be who you are, and not what others want you to be. And number two, to be true to yourself, number two, we have to believe in ourselves. Believe. I love watching cricket. My wife doesn't watch cricket. She doesn't get cricket. She says nothing happens in cricket. And I say to her, you don't get it. Cricket is exciting, not because something ever happens, but because there's a threat. That something might happen. Now lately Australia has been winning because of one man Mitchell Johnson. Now a few years ago Mitchell Johnson was hopeless. He was a cricketing joke but now Mitchell Johnson is the best bowler in the world. Well what's the difference? Well in a recent interview Mitchell Johnson said I now believe in myself. See we have to believe in ourselves. In the West as children, we all learnt the story of the little engine who could. The little train engine came to a hill. The hill was too big. The train was too small. But the train engine said, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And he got over the hill. And this story teaches every single child in the Western world that you've just got to believe. Never doubt yourself and you will be able to do whatever you set your heart on. In the movie Legally Blonde, Reese Witherspoon delivers her graduation speech. In a speech that is repeated in every graduation speech of every college in the Western world. And she said this, you must always have faith in people and most importantly, you must always have faith in yourself. Go to the motivation blogs and this is what we will read. Believe you can and you are halfway there. Stay focused and never give up. Work hard and dream big. This is why our heroes are Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King. Because they tried, They dared to dream the dream. And most importantly, they never stopped believing. That's what it means to be true to yourself. Never stop believing in yourself. But what's the problem with being true to yourself? In our modern world, the Pharisee was true to himself. He's been his own man. He's given back to society. He believes in himself. And he's comfortable with who he is. He's achieved that elusive nirvana that we all chase. Self-esteem. And if we can't accept him for who he is, well, we've got the problem. And If God can't accept him for who he is, surely God's got the problem. So why does Jesus say that this man has got it all wrong? What's the problem with being true to yourself? Well, Jesus here says two things, or we can get two things from the story. Number one, it creates a reality distortion field where we are always right and everyone else is wrong. If you go to America... This is what a world map looks like in America. Can you see what the Americans have done in their world map? They have put America right in the middle of the world. And to do that, they've had to cut Europe and Asia in half. And so i pointed this out to an American. Can you see what you guys have done to the world? You guys in the middle. And to do that, you've had to cut Europe and Asia in half. And he just looked at me, well, what's the problem with that? And he said, it's what everyone else does. He said, think, think about the English, Greenwich Mean Time. What is that saying? We, the English, at zero hours, and the rest of the world is defined by us. They are either plus or minus hours from the English. They are the middle of time, Greenwich Mean Time. China literally means the middle kingdom. According to the Chinese, they are in the middle of the universe. See, every culture thinks it is in the middle, and all the other cultures are the extreme ones. Take Australia. We're normal, and the rest of the world is abnormal. Well, to us, the English are too stuck up. The Americans are too serious. The Asians, well, they're too hardworking. And the Scandinavians, well, they're just too clean. Everyone should be just chilled and relaxed like us. But what if it's the other way around? What if the rest of the world is normal and us Aussies are the abnormal ones? To the English, we lack hierarchy. To the Americans, we joke around too much. To the Asians, we're lazy. And to the Scandinavians, we're too disordered. So who is right? Who's normal? Who's abnormal? This is the problem of being true to yourself. We become the only ones who determine what's right and what's wrong. And then by definition, we are always right. And anyone else who disagrees with us will always be wrong. So we're never open to improvement or correction. And we're never open to another reality. When a child is born, she begins with an egocentric universe. I'm the only person on this planet. I'm hungry, feed me. I'm cold, warm me. I'm tired, settle me. But as a child grows, she realises there are other people. They too have needs that matter. They too have feelings that matter. And sometimes they might be right and I might be wrong. But by definition, being true to yourself basically means we stay like a child. We stay in my egocentric universe. We stay in our closed universe. It doesn't matter what others think. It only matters what I think. I become the only judge of reality. And this is the great irony. Being true to yourself is supposed to argue for tolerance. Accept me for who I am, but it becomes a champion of intolerance. You better accept me, otherwise you will not be tolerated. It's actually a form of colonialism in disguise where I am always right, everyone else is wrong and I get to impose my version of truth upon other people. The term reality distortion field actually comes from Steve Jobs' work colleagues. They use the term to describe the problem with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs' ego was so big that it distorted the way he perceived reality. It was as if he could bend reality to suit his ego, his wants, his desires. Steve Jobs had a narcissistic personality disorder. He was impossible to work with and he was disloyal to his most loyal friends. But it doesn't matter because in the end he was true to himself. So it doesn't matter what others thought about him. But you and I, we don't have Steve Jobs' ego. We don't have his narcissistic personality disorder. We know we're not the centre of the universe. We know the feelings and needs of other people matter. And we know when they disagree with us, they just might be right. And they might be able to show us a better reality than what we have right now. So that's the first problem. It creates a reality distortion field where we're always right and everyone else is wrong. The second problem with being true to yourself is it blames people for their failures. When I was a boy, it was the 1970s, and the fashion was for a man to be hairy. A hairy chest, a hairy moustache, and hairy legs. And so our heroes were Dennis Lilly, John Newcomb, and the solo man. And I remember as a boy watching a James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice, and Sean Connery is in a hot tub, So Sean Connery is in a hot tub surrounded by Japanese women and the Japanese counterpart is in the hot tub with no women around him. And he says to Sean Connery, do you know what they like about you? It's the hair on your chest. And for that scene they had to tape extra fake hair on Sean Connery's chest. And I remember watching that as a boy and being very sad because I knew as a Chinese person I wasn't going to have any chest hair and no girl was ever going to like me. See, no matter how much I believed in myself, I was going to get any chest hair. But if the little train engine could wheel himself up a hill, why can't I get any chest hair? The problem must be with me. That's the problem. If we're supposed to be able to get anything we set our hearts on, what do we do with those who can't get what they want? Mitchell Johnson can bowl a cricket ball at 150 kilometres an hour because he believes himself. But does that mean I can bowl a cricket ball at 150 kilometres an hour if I just believe? But if I can't, it must be because I'm not believing enough. So the blame must be for me. That's the problem with the message. Believe in yourself. You can achieve anything as long as you believe. It actually oppresses people in underprivileged contexts. It says to so the hospital toilet cleaner... Why are you cleaning toilets? Why can't you be a CEO? Do what you love. Believe in yourself. It says to the refugee in Ethiopia, Why are you starving? Believe in yourself. It says to the child slave worker, Why don't you be an astronaut instead? Believe in yourself. The message to be true to yourself only works in the privileged West, where we're not as oppressed by political, social, and economical factors outside of our control. And it actually oppresses those in the majority world by blaming them for their misfortunes. Steve Jobs in his famous speech to graduating students at Harvard in 2005 told them to do what they love. But Steve Jobs doesn't give this same speech to the workers in China who make his iPads. They're not making his iPads for love, they're making his iPads because they have to. They have no choice. They have bills to pay. And so the irony with this message, to believe in yourself, is supposed to empower us to make it, but it actually disempowers those of us who can't make it. So let's come to the final part of the talk. What does the Bible have to say about being true to yourself? How can I truly be true to myself? Well, Jesus gives us the example the tax collector, who according to Jesus, is true to himself. He stands at a distance, he looks down and he prays his prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And from the tax collector and his prayer, we can learn two ways to be true to ourselves. Number one, admit it. Things aren't okay. A few years ago, I bought a second-hand Alfa Romeo, red Italian sports hatch. But it was always breaking down, so much so that it stopped working and it always sat on my back lawn, never moving. It was a permanent fixture. My wife called it the garden gnome. And the biggest problem of my car was rust. It had rust everywhere, too much to get rid of. But I had to get rid of the rust to get the car re-registered for another year. But there was so much rust, I couldn't get rid of it. So I just painted over the rust so you couldn't see it. And I got the car through Rego. But just a few weeks later, the rust started bubbling through the paint. And that's a problem with rust. We can't just pretend it's not there. We can't just paint over it. Jesus says we have a problem called sin. It's like rust. It's in our hearts. And this sin causes us to hurt those we love. It brings shame upon ourselves and it dishonours God. And we can pretend the sin's just not there. We can paint over the sin with our university degrees, our white-collar professional jobs, our decent middle-class trophy families, but the sin will still bubble through. Just recently, a close friend of mine got a massive bonus. And with that, he could buy himself a third car and pay off his house. Another close friend of mine just got a massive redundancy package. With that, he's now on an overseas holiday, and he can also pay off his house. Now, 90% of me is so happy for them. But 10% of me is so envious of them. Why them and not me? And the Bible calls my envy, sin. If I let this sin bubble and fester in my heart, I will hurt my friends. I will bring shame upon myself. And I will also dishonour God. We just can't pretend this sin is not in our hearts. We can't just paint over it. I'm also at a stage of life right now where my three young boys think I'm perfect. And so I'm also at a stage of life where if I'm truly true to myself, I have to tell my boys, listen, I'm not perfect. And one day you see me for what I really am. Flawed, fallible and fallen. And I just hope one day I don't hurt you and I don't shame you. But I can't just stop there. If I'm truly true to myself, I also have to say these words to God, my maker, God, I'm not perfect. And you can see me for who I am There is sin in my heart. I am a sinner. So that's the first thing we need to do. Admit it. Things aren't okay. And the second thing we need to do to be true to ourselves is admit it. We need someone to save us. In the end, I couldn't get rid of the rust from my Alpha. I had to junk my Alpha and I had to get a new car. And in the end, we can't get rid of the sin in our hearts, no matter how much we believe in ourselves we need a new heart. And this is a very humbling thing to say. I need help. I need a new heart. I have a friend called Pierre. Pierre is a strong open ocean swimmer. He has swum in open ocean races. One day on a weekend he went to Bronte Beach, went for a swim and a rip just took him out about 100, 200 meters on a big surf day. And the rip held him down an area they call the whirlpool And Pierre felt himself going down many times, fighting for his breath, and thought, this is it. I'm drowning. I'm about to remember the last few minutes of my life. And Pierre said at that moment, he had to do something he had never done before. He had to stick up his hand and ask for help from the lifesavers. And he said as he raised his hand, that was the most humbling, helpless moment of his life. Help me. I need help. And this is what it means to be true to ourselves. We too need to come to that humbling, helpless moment of our life and say, God, I need help. I need mercy. I have sin in my life. I'm not perfect. And by myself, no matter how much I try, I cannot get rid of this sin. And I need you to save me. And this is what the tax collector cries out for when he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in the story as he prayed, a smoke from the sacrifice would have gone up in the temple. And that is to symbolize how God sends his son Jesus to be our sacrifice, who will wash the sin out of our lives as he dies for us on the cross. And as he rises back to life, gives us a new life in him, a new heart, a new life. So how can we be true to ourselves? When we really, really, really want to be truly true to ourselves, we have to admit it. Things aren't okay. God, I have sin in my heart. And also admit it. I need help. God, I need your mercy. It's actually the opposite of the Western narrative we've been taught. Where in the West, we're meant to keep saying to ourselves, Hey, everything's okay. Don't worry about what others think. You're the best. Just believe in You do anything we set our hearts on. Jesus says, no, everything's not okay. Admit it, we need someone to save us. And if we are true to ourselves, we will say, Jesus, yes, you are right. that is what Jesus means when it comes to that last verse, the punchline of the story. This is what it would be for anyone who tries to lift himself up before God. God will bring you down. But if we humble ourselves before God, God will lift us up. So how can we be true to ourselves? Well, as you found out a few weeks ago, I once ran in the Sydney Marathon. And the Sydney Marathon begins with you running over the Harbour Bridge, but shortly after that, it puts you through Oxford Street, the nightclub area of Sydney. And you're going through about 7 in the morning on a Sunday morning as everyone is spilling out from a night of partying and drinking and excess and they haven't slept all night, they've been drinking all night, they've been partying all night, and they come to cheer you on. But some of them... Are these sort of guys, these uh, leering, crude guys. And I remember there were two guys there. They weren't these two guys, but they were like these two guys. And they had their shirts off, they were drunk, you could smell the alcohol in their breath, and they were just saying nasty things to us as we ran past, and that's okay. But they were also leering at the women runners. And they were just saying these rude, offensive, crude things to them as they ran past. And I remember looking at these guys and like, gosh, this is the lowest humanity can sink to. I mean, this is dirty, it's filthy, it's base. it's offensive. And I remember thinking, God, God, if Jesus is right in the story, are you saying that these guys can be right with you if they just come to that moment where they say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That if they just admit they're not okay, and they admit they need your help, you will lift them up and you restore them, and they'll be okay with you. And God says, yeah, yeah, that's what the story is saying. I'm thinking, okay, I can handle that. I can handle that. That's official Christian doctrine. I learned in Sunday school. But God, are you saying that if I want to be okay with you, I have to do the same thing? Are you saying with all my years of going to church, all my years of being a faithful husband to my wife, all my years of giving generously, That I too have to do what they have to do? And God says, yes. You have to line up with them. And you have to admit it. Things aren't okay. I'm a sinner and I need your help, God. Line up with them. See, the trouble with this is Jesus actually gives us a very, very humbling message. And not all of us will be able to take this humbling message. But we've got to remember the God that we're dealing with. This is a holy God cannot tolerate any sin in his presence and we think we can lift ourselves up before this god our sin will bring us down but this is also a merciful god and if we just humble ourselves before this god he will lift us up and he'll say everything's okay you are right with me you are okay with me you are now true to yourself
1: Sam, it's hard not to, to, it's hard not to exalt, exalt ourselves. Mm. We work in a very successful city. How does God humble us?
0: Wow. So it's hard not to exalt ourselves, especially when we're surrounded by so much success in a major successful world city. How do we not exalt ourselves? Uh,
1: yeah, how do we not exalt? How, well, how would God even humble us? Yeah.
0: How would God humble us? How? Well, I think uh, just again that reality check, that reality check where I just got to keep looking at my heart and keep looking at my heart. It's interesting that the, the, the whole story kicks off. Jesus sets off the story that he told this story to those who are confident in their righteousness and look down on other people. And I guess we do live in a city where we are confident and we look down on those who don't have as much as we have. So the reality check is to remember I'm always before a holy God. And a merciful God, a holy God, where there's no way I could lift myself up before this God, but also a merciful God, a God who will lift me up for 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 being the fallen person I am. Yes, all right,
1: great. Um, you were talking a fair bit about the Pharisee, mm-hmm. and, and actually, the way you kind of set it up at the beginning that he was the good guy, yeah. he was kind
0: of the big guy. So, where's the
1: sin in his life?
0: Where's the sin in the Pharisee's life? Because he was a good man, religious, generous and faithful to his wife and family. So how is he a sinner? Well, again, it comes to that punchline. The punchline is his sin is self-righteousness. He's confident in what he's done, that this will be enough before God. He's confident in his righteousness. And the irony is, the only way we can be confident in our righteousness is we've got to play a numbers game because what is our standard? How do we know if we've ever done enough? We've actually got to look at other people who haven't supposedly done enough. So it looks like we are in the front half Uh, And so, you know, the NRMA does surveys on drivers, and we all think we're above-average drivers. And we know, by definition, not all of us can be above-average drivers. 50% of us have to be below-average. And so we always think we're a better driver than everyone else. And I guess that's what self-righteousness is. Somehow, not only do I think I'm good, but I'm better than those around me. So we actually have to put people down. So that's his sin, elevating himself and just not seeing the failure in his own life and putting down other people.
1: Um, this next one says, if, "If I consider myself a Christian, but continue to sin without regret, mm. or, uh, without regret, even though I know it's wrong, mm. what does
0: that mean?" If I consider myself a, a Christian and yet I continue to sin without, regret,
1: without any regret, even though I know it's wrong,
0: even though I know it's wrong,
1: is
0: there is there a problem? Well, maybe the, the, the short, partial way of answering that: if we're asking that question, things are probably okay because we're still in this reality check. Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? And what we understand about Christianity is uh, the example I often give is I have a friend who's an American like you, and she came to Australia five or six years ago, and she became an Australian citizen. So she has the official status as an American uh, as an Australian citizen, but she's slowly only becoming Australianified. Uh, she's only slowly learning the words to the national anthem. She still doesn't like rugby or cricket, but that will come. So slowly she's becoming Australianified. It's the same with. Uh, our relationship with god so as we pray that prayer lord have mercy on me god <clears throat> gives us a status you're okay you're okay with me but then he gives us a new heart where slowly we emerge to become more and more innocent and pure to match the status he has given us and the fact that we're asking that question am i okay am i co okay? probably means that things are okay because we're feeling the need to continue growing and journeying with with jesus
1: how does one achieve that ongoing humility in the face of our major social message of independence mm. or of self-belief?
0: How does one maintain that humility when we're always hearing the message of independence and self-belief? Well, some said we just... Well, it's interesting. We, we always have to hear... I have to read to my kids the same stories every night. They love hearing the same stories every night. And some say we, we as human beings, just like we need to... Eat daily, shower daily. We actually need to hear the same stories over and over again. The stories shape us. And the Bible gives us that one major story that God loves us, God made us, and He has saved us. So everything we have from God is a gift His love, His creation, and His salvation. If we keep reminding ourselves, I've received this as a gift, not something I've earned, that should keep us humble. I'm not independent, I'm not fantastic. This is a gift that I have not gained, but that you have given me.
1: This next one actually. And if
0: I was okay, know. he never would have had to send Jesus. So I must have been doing really badly for him to have to send Jesus. So we just keep reminding ourselves of that.
1: Kind of going down the same vein with humility, sure. but also I think it's another another way of consideration: is that admitting, you know, that we are we need to humble ourselves, mm-hmm. admitting our sinful nature. But can we, at the same time, though, believe in our abilities and love what we do and be successful um, and, happy and be okay with
0: that? Yeah. So, okay, on one hand, yes, we have to be realistic about how fallen and fallible we are. But come on, there's some good parts of us. Uh, can we concentrate on them and that will, that will help us improve? Okay, so that's a, a, a very good question. So the Bible says, yes, it is a both end. Uh, we're not all bad. We're not all good. We're in the image of God. And that makes us very good people. But at the same time, we have this rust, this sin in our lives, and it makes us very tainted, very fallen, very very fallible. So how do we get it right? How do we get it just right? Well, what's fascinating is um, this morning we, we had a very similar question. But like, like how do we get it right? And if you're a parent like I am, you just notice how the fashions and the trends swing in parenting. So 50 years ago, the trend was we had to criticise our children, emphasise on the negative, So they get 99 out of 100, we go, hey... Only 99 out of 100, where's the missing one mark? And that was meant to make our kids try harder. Oh, okay, I'm gonna show you, Dad, I'm gonna get you that one mark now. And then and then the, the pendulum corrected, and it's going the other way now, and it's all about praise and esteem and positive thinking. So now when your kid gets 60 out of 100, you, think, you know, you're amazing, you're a winner. <laughs> 60, wow, you got 60, that's more than what I could have had, you're amazing. So we are given this praise, which isn't justified by the facts. And now they're saying, now, now the pushback's coming in the psychology and the parenting world, kids actually after a while work this out, and two negative things happen. One, they feel patronised. They go, come on, Dad, I know this is not a great result. So are you thinking, this is all I can achieve, 60, and this makes me wonderful? Well, you must think very lowly of me. And also, they start learning there's no such thing as failure. So uh, uh, even if they fail, we'll say, you're fantastic, you're a winner, everyone's a winner. So, failure actually no longer exists as an independent ontological entity. So, we need both realistic criticism and realistic praise. So, how do we get it right? Well, the Bible says, okay, we are fallen. So, it criticizes us. We need Jesus. And then it gives us positive thinking, not based on our abilities, which leads to fear and insecurity, because we never feel we are good enough to justify the praise or positive thinking. It bases it on what who God is and what He's done for us. Hey, think about who God is. Think about how much He loves you. Think what He's done to save you. You are an amazing person. That's what the Bible says. And because you are amazing because of who God is and what He's done for you, now you live up to that potential. And it's actually an empowering message rather than an just empowering message because it's now based not on who I am or my abilities but on who God is and His abilities. And just give me one more minute. When we raise children now, they, 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 they're teaching us, don't say to a kid, Um, wow, you clean your room, you're amazing, I love you. Because now the kid's thinking, based on what he or she does, that determines what he or she is, and that determines how I treat that person. So, you clean your room, you're amazing, wow, I love you. That's what they're hearing, and that gives them a lot of fear and security. Can they keep this up? Can they keep cleaning their room every day? No. But you flip around and say, hey, I love you, because of that, you're amazing, and because of that, hey, you can clean your room. So what I have done, who you are, and therefore what you can do. And that's what will empower a kid. And that's what the Bible says. This is who God is and what he's done for you. Wow, that makes you an amazing person, a people of God, a child of God. Now this is your potential. Go do it. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.